So if you were here last week, I started off the sermon. Uh, I put up some pictures of my family. I introduced some personal stories. And uh, I figured as I was preparing this week that, especially since there's a lot of newcomers here, that it might be good to start in a similar vein. And so I'm going to give a hyper-condensed version of my testimony, okay? Very, very quick version. So it was in college for me when my life was completely changed. I imagine college was very transformative for many of you. My eyes are open. Life was never the same. You know, that whole shebang and story. And it was all because of one singular man who you know very well. And it was my two, it was, I had two friends. One was named Jesse. The other name was Tim, who introduced him to me. And they told me about this guy who was a leader. He, they said, uh, you know, their speech of sorts was like, you know, he saw the world differently than the people of his time. That even the, the close 12 or so people that worked closely with him every day, they even misunderstood him a little bit. They said he was ridiculed and attacked and criticized, often living around constant opposition and people who were against him. And then they told me, Jesse and Tim, but in the end, he stayed true to living out his call that he had been given. He led humbly by example and that his life and his faithfulness changed millions and millions of people's lives. So we're at church. I'm being cheesy here. You know who I'm talking about. It's this man right here. Michael Gary Scott. My testimony involves this man. He changed my life. He's one of my top mentors and heroes. And being my mentor, number one mentor, he has said a lot of things that have stuck in my mind permanently. And one of his snippets of wisdom is this quote that I love right here. Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject. So you know you are getting the best possible information. If you were here last week, I kicked us off in a new sermon series we called Worry-Free, and I said, hey, remember like in middle school or high school science when you learned that gases fill the volume of whatever container they're in? I argued that anxiety and worry does the same thing. So if we have large gaps of knowledge pertaining to things that are really important, things that would be stressful to you, that anxiety fills that gap and then it spreads and it fills the container, your container being your mind, your heart, your soul, where your, you know, your emotions are. And so I encouraged us in response that it would be best for us to focus our anxiety, uh, or best for our anxiety if we focus more on what we knew with certainty as opposed to constantly stressing about the questions that we don't have answers to, right? For example, like money. Like, oh, if, you're, if your anxiety is all around financial security, you won't, you won't know your future. We can't take a time machine to know that in 10, 15, 20 years, you'll always be perfectly financially secure, but constantly worrying about that is just going to make the anxiety worse. But what if you focus instead on knowing something with certainty, like God is my provider and he'll never fail? And so that was what last week was all about. There's a big threat to this discipline, though. There's a threat that can kind of take us off course of what I argued or what I encouraged us to do last week. And it's that a lot of us, we kind of live like human Wikipedias, I think we kind of are walking, talking, breathing, living Wikipedia pages. Just like Michael said, right? Anyone in the world can tell you, teach you, influence you about anything they want, about any subject. And in today's world, where we're constantly bombarded with influencers and information and content, we are more than any other generation in human history at risk of being human Wikipedia pages. We're always barraged by content more and more and more. And at the same time, people are saying, experts are saying that we're more anxious than ever before. And they very much correlate the two things. 
that we're constantly being fed, fed, fed by all these different sources that you, we can't even really vet at this point. And our anxiety is growing and bubbling and there's an epidemic. There's a pandemic of anxiety. See, Michael might believe that this reality means the best for you, that you get the best possible information because you have so many different people speaking into your life. And I, and I love him, but I'll disagree with him on this. I feel that right now, for many of us, our core beliefs, our understanding of life, our lens with which we see and understand the world, even our lens with which we see God, is often shaped by other people or other sources who are not God. If we were to pause and think about it for a while, I think, and I'll admit it myself, I think a lot of my opinions about God came from somebody else talking about him as opposed to what he said about himself. And this is very problematic for obvious reasons when it comes to our journey of being worry-free. Being a human Wikipedia with no filter is just going to make our anxiety, our worry, and our stress much worse. So in week two of this series, I want to do exactly what we did last week, just start picking up from where we left off. We're going to ignore Michael. We're going to ignore all the different people and sources that are constantly competing for our attention, our allegiance, our belief. And instead, I want to fill our minds with the word of God, what comes directly from him, and then hopefully fill the volume of the container, pushing out all other sources that are only making our anxiety worse and being able to settle on what he told us himself, taking a step forward and being worry-free. So today, we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 and just read two short verses from there, starting from verse 7. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in Jeremiah's prophecy here in chapter 17, we're given a picture of someone who is described as blessed. It's the blessed individual. And he says that they are like a tree planted by a stream of water. And check out what Jeremiah writes about this person. We'll reread the second half that we read in verse 8. So this blessed person who's like a tree, they do not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. And then he says, this blessed person has no worries in a year of drought. They never fail to bear fruit. So if you look at those two sentences, it's like a, a formula. They're, they're, they're different words, but the formula is the same in both of those statements. The first half of the formula is somebody being, the blessed person being free of anxiety when or during some sort of difficulty being present and arising in their life. He says the blessed person doesn't fear when the heat comes, and the blessed person has no worry when there's drought. The second part of the formula is that they remain healthy or productive and well in some way or another. He says a tree, it's encompassed by the heat, but it's leaves, it don't, they don't turn yellow and brown and brittle and fall off. No, he says they're always green. And that the tree that's in drought, it doesn't dry up and shrivel like a tree would in drought. No, it, it bears fruit constantly, continuously. And so that's a two, like one-two punch of the blessed person. Firstly, they're able to be anxiety-free in the midst of difficulty. The second part of the formula, they remain healthy and fruitful in spite of the difficulty. And that really is a picture of being blessed, right? Free, like, we like to think of blessedness as like 
best job, best salary, lots of money, going on vacations, but think about if you had freedom from anxiety in the midst of hardship and being healthy through hardship. That really is a picture of being blessed. And I wish I could say that I reacted in that way. I don't know about you when it comes to, you know, the droughts and the heat approaching. Back in 2017, there was a news story that came out about uh, in, from southern Germany of an elderly man who called the police saying that he found an undetonated bomb in his backyard. And so the police rush to the scene, they evacuate the area, they prepare for a safe bomb retrieval, and this is what they found in his backyard. It's a zucchini. It was a really, really, really big zucchini. Green squash. So, I think the news article was comedic, and so I read it that way and was like, ha ha, like silly grandpa. Uh, by the way, I, I forget if I said it. The location was his backyard garden, uh, so it makes sense that there would be a vegetable there, but, you know, first I read it, I was like, silly old man, like, you know, like, you don't even check before you call the police, you're wasting their time and causing an uproar for no reason, like, you know, roll my eyes at the old guy for not checking or doing whatever he had to do. But then I started wondering, like, what was going on in his mind? Like, imagine actually how he felt, because clearly he was convinced and by the way, this isn't completely far-fetched because in Germany, they still do find World War II artifacts here and there. So it's not impossible that you would find a bomb in your backyard. But after I was done laughing at him, which I realized was kind of mean, I realized, wait, like, if, if I was convinced whether or not it was something silly that there was a bomb in my backyard, I would freak out too. And so the story kind of pivoted my thinking from, you know, like, making fun of him to realizing how powerful like fear and anxiety really is, what it could get us to do, that we shouldn't underestimate its power. It's powerful enough for a man to call a bomb squad instead of checking the vegetables in his own garden and, and even doing the one, two, three steps that he could have done before calling the bomb squad. Anxiety is not that easy to control. It's powerful enough to push out reasoning and rationale and, and simple logic. And then I got to a place to realize, if I'm honest with myself, I don't know about you, I have versions of calling 911 too early, too. Maybe you can relate. It's probably not a bomb in your backyard, but maybe you get a bad performance review at work. Or maybe you're a student in grad school or undergrad, and you get a terrible test grade. And you freak out, and you're calling 911 the bomb squad because, like, oh my gosh, like now I'm never going to. We use big words like never, right? You got the, it's it crushed your GPA, and now I'm never going to get into med school or whatever. Like, all this is pointless. What have I done with, like, and we just freak out. Like, how am I ever going to recover? Maybe it has to do with children or your, your kids. Like, they're not hitting the milestone, and we freak out. Like, I did that so, I'm doing that still right now. Like, all the kids around Judah's age are doing this, but he's not. Like, oh my gosh, like, is he, does he have a learning, you know, disability, like, de de developmental delays, and I'm freaking out. Like, is he going to ever go to college? Like, you know, we go to the extreme. Maybe for you, it's financial issues and anxiety, and you leap to doom and gloom. Or you get into a bad fight with a friend, and it's like, oh my, this relationship is over. It's done. It's irreparable. We leap to those places. Because anxiety is actually that powerful. And what I'm not trying to do is roll our eyes at us now. Ugh, you idiot. Like, Judah is just too, he'll get there. Like, calm down. I'm not trying to get us to do that or laugh at ourselves. 
My point is to say that anxiety is powerful to get us to call 911 when maybe it's not actually a bomb. The power of anxiety is that, as I mentioned last week, it fills our minds, it fills the entirety of the container like gas, and it not only doesn't leave room for anything else, but I would like to argue that it pushes other things out. And here's my point. For believers, what I believe is the, the greatest power of anxiety is that it's strong enough to push out God's influence, God's discipleship over you, God's fatherly care, his character, his word that you've memorized, his word that you believe and that you're confident enough, you've digested. When you have really strong anxiousness over something important in your life, you ever find yourself telling yourself and believing things about God that you know are factually, like, are completely untrue or opposite of what he, or who he is? God, I've been, I've been praying for my sister, my brother, my, my mom, my dad for 10 years to come to faith, but, you know, he or she like, still is so against Christianity. Prayer is pointless. Clearly, there's no reason to pray. God, you say you want to bless me, but I've been struggling with this health issue. It only seems to be getting worse. You're punishing me, aren't you? God, you say you love your children and you'll provide, but I guess I'm the exception to the rule because clearly you're not providing me with fill in the blank. We start believing things that we know are completely untrue. Anxiety is powerful enough for us to call 911. It gets an old guy to call cops on zucchinis, but for us, anxiety leads us to a place to believe things about God that are just simply untrue and that we know in our hearts are untrue. So, it's amazing to think of the blessed person described of as a tree who remains fearless and without worry when the bad weather threatens and comes. Did you notice the specifics of those two bad things that in Jeremiah's prophecy? Drought and heat, two things that threaten the, li- the life of a tree. And yet in that posture, of being free from anxiety, the blessed person continuously bears fruit from a place of health. This really is an image of someone who's like a sturdy tree with deep roots that go by a stream or that are next to a stream of water, being fed by its source of life. Y'all know anybody like that in your life or have somebody who endures heat and drought but they're unshaken? And they keep bearing fruit in the midst of, you know, the drought that surrounds them. Someone that's like a sturdy tree, unmoved by the hard things of life. How the heck do they do that? How do they still have green leaves when the heat, like, you know, the thermostat goes up to boiling? What's the secret? Above everyone that I've known in my life, my mom was that blessed person. Uh, A tree planted by streams of water, unshaken by anxiety and fear and worry, bearing fruit even when the heat and the drought came. And this coming Thursday, my family will commemorate her eighth year since she left us to be with the Lord. We lost her on August 24th, 2015. I'll never forget the season where I could see the heat and the drought like approaching like a cloud. You know, starting to get darker and darker, only soon to be over our heads to like unleash the storm on us. I'll never forget how I felt and how I responded 
but I'll also never forget how she did. So, you know, the story goes, we had a bunch of doctor's appointments, she was experiencing pain, eventually got testing, and CAT scans and biopsies and this and that, and we were scheduled to see an oncologist. So you know what's gonna happen there. We were sitting in the lobby cafe of, of MGH, just waiting for the appointment. I was really distraught, knowing that we were gonna get the it's cancer sentence. But she was so calm. There was nothing in her demeanor, her speech, her appearance, her actions. It was as if we were just watching TV together. It's like, I'll never forget that. And then we get the bad news, we sit with the oncologist, and then she sends us to an orientation meeting where an MGA staff person would give us pamphlets and they would show us a PowerPoint about next steps of how you can enter into cancer treatment, what options and you know, what's available to you, the social workers and how they can help and who to talk to and how to prepare. And we were in the room with other families who actually got the bad news too. And so I'm looking around at this conference table, the other families, as people are wiping off tears, some of them visibly like shaking and, 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 and trying to keep it together because they're not alone. It's not just their family. There's like four of us or, or four families or so in there. And I look over at my mom and I was like, this is like she's in Cancun, like at a timeshare presentation, just calmly like looking at the TV and like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I'm willing to remember to do that and making sure that my sister and I take notes. And that was a posture that she kept all the way through treatment and hospitalizations and hospice until she left us unmoved and unshaken. Bearing fruit in the midst of the drought as if there was water. Completely worry-free. Where the weight of the worry should have been crushing. It should have wrecked all of us. Maybe you have somebody in your life that's been like that. What's different about them? How, how do they not allow the volume of the container or the, the, to, for the anxiety to fill it and then like rudely kick out all the things they know about God? What's the secret? Well, it's not a secret. We read it. I haven't talked about it yet, but we did read it. And we're told right here that it comes down to trust. In Jeremiah, our passage, the first verse and the first sentence we read, read was this. The blessed person, the one who's like the tree planted by streams, who isn't shaken and has no fear and anxiety with the heat and the drought, whose leaves are always green, who bears fruit, the blessed one is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Becoming someone who is worry-free, who's not fraught with and overcome with anxiety comes down to trust. Trust is the secret ingredient. The one who trusts in God and whose confidence is in him is like the blessed person, a tree planted by streams of water. The trusting and confident person is the one who has all the difficulty crashing down and surrounding them, but keeps bearing fruit. It all boils down to how greatly you trust God. Because if we 
are able to develop and build that solid foundational trust and we're able to hold tightly to his word, you realize that your fears don't have power over you. That it's the mighty God who loves you so much to send his son to be a sacrificial lamb on your behalf is the one who has the final say in your life and control over your life. It's when you start holding on to all the things that you believe about him. Instead of those things getting kicked out, they start to actually bubble up more. No, 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 no. I know God to be a provider. He's never failed in that regard. So I can be more patient and endure. I can persevere. No, 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 no. I know that God is incredibly loving and that even sometimes his no's are best for me and I don't like it in the moment, but I can trust it. It's when those things start to encompass our, 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 the container because the power of the almighty God who is perfectly good is on your side. My mom was unshaken because cancer was not the most powerful thing in her life. It didn't have the final word. Suffering and pain didn't have the final word. Death did not have the final word. God's loving hand of power was the only one with the full power and final word and control over her life. And she trusted it until her dying day. She didn't have fear. Last week for application, I encouraged us as a church to pack our minds full of truths we know from Jesus, our Savior, and I encouraged us to speak God's word into our anxieties. Today, I just want to add to that as an encouragement for all of us in your walking in faith for your, hopefully, your lifetime, right, to allow God's word to minister to you in a way that it solidifies your trust, not just reading it for information or checking off the list of you're supposed to do QTs in the mornings before work or the commute. Not just for knowledge, but to, to deepen your relational trust and bond with him. Study it and read it and meditate on, a way, on, it, on, on it in a way that solidifies and deepens your trust so that it can't be moved when droughts and heat waves come and when certainly pain and suffering approaches. Trust in Jesus will not only help you to endure, but it'll give you the blessed life. My mom was a blessed person. She never went on, she, she worked 80 plus hours a week for her whole life, didn't have anything luxurious or eat well or go on vacations. This is proof to me that the trust is the blessedness. The confidence is where we, we, we are, find our happiness. Trust in Jesus gives us freedom from that oppressive anxiety. It can help us to live life worry-free. Sometimes we need help and guidance, right? We, we would love to. Hey, I'm with you, man. Like, if, if, if you know, I get laid off from my job and I like have all this debt accruing, like I would love to just snap my fingers and trust you. Like, you know, sometimes we, we would love to, but we need the help and it's hard to get there. And this might sound like a super, of course the pastor would say this answer, but honestly I only have one suggestion. 
I'm sure you could read and find other pastors and read books where they might be able to tell you more. But the only thing I can say is when you need the help, to, when you're struggling to trust him, is just to look to the cross, to think about it. If you have it on your neck or somewhere in your house, some of you have it tattooed on your bodies, to think about if you believe in what that symbol represents. If God sent his son Jesus to take on flesh, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to bear the wrath of God on your behalf so that you could live in freedom for eternity with all the greatest blessing and inheritance of God. If you believe that, certainly, if you trusted him with your eternity, if you're trusting him with what's going to happen when you die, then we can trust him with the difficulties of life too. I don't know any other way. Maybe I just lack the wisdom. But when the real, real tough stuff of life comes, I've found no other way but to think, Jesus, this is the hardest, the most greatest pain I'm enduring right now. But if you really did die for me and secure my eternity, then just help me to trust you in this too. The song that we're going to sing in response, um, just in like five minutes, it has a bridge that is one of my favorite bridges that I feel like has ever been written for me personally. I hope it's, it gets to that list for you. Because the way that the authors wrote it really sums up beautifully what I'm saying in terms of I don't know what else to do but to think of the gospel. And here are the lyrics. The authors wrote this. Oh, on that cross, how it was seen. Here's the bridge. Or, not the bridge, it is the bridge, the connection point. I can go now ever trusting in the one who died for me. Maybe they feel the same way as me. I don't know what else to do but to look to the cross. And that's not just adequate, but it's certainly enough for me to continue to press on trusting you if you were to go to that length because you loved us that greatly. Oh, on that cross, how it was seen, I can go now ever trusting in the one who died for me. What could I bring for your gift is complete. So I trust you, simply trust you, Lord, with every part of me. I want to encourage us all as we close to take some time to actually meditate and reflect on what makes you anxious. It doesn't sound really fun, sorry. But I imagine you, hopefully you're thinking about it already at this point. Let's actually think about what our greatest fear is. Maybe for some of you, you know, many of us, you know, I mentioned this last week, it's some sort of process of your future career and financial stability, life stability, direction, purpose, you know, meaningfulness in your work or your field. A lot of us, it has to do with money or family or the health of loved ones or ourselves or relational things or future, you know, marriage and children and all those important things. I would love for you to picture that and then to practice this discipline of looking to the cross and saying, it's on the cross it's because of the cross I can go on trusting you because you died for me. And I believe that as we practice this over a lifetime of faith, 
that people will be talking about you as the one who was like the tree, sturdy, planted by streams of water, unmoved, bearing fruit. So uh, Anna and I will pivot over and um, just want to encourage you all to spend just the time. We're going to leave these lyrics up and let's do that reflection now.